So instead, it's second and 18, back inside the 10. Sit him shotgun. His toes on the end zone. Launching one down the right sideline for Hollins, and it's intercepted at the 44-yard line. One Thornhill rolls out of bounds on the far sideline. Stidham gets the snap. Chiefs bring four. Pressure up the middle. Rolls out of the pocket to the right. Fires to the end zone. Incomplete. Devontae Adams had a defender right on his back. He wanted pass interference. Nothing comes. And the Raiders turn it over on downs at the Chiefs' two-yard line. Stidham out of the gun. Chris Jones up the middle. Stidham runs right into him. Has his arms around him. And Chris Jones brings him to the turf back at the 34-yard line with his second sack of the game. And the Chiefs' defense is going to walk over to the sideline, putting an end to this one here inside Alicia Stadium. Does your laptop work? Does now I finally remember. Oh, laptop. you remembered the password? I remembered it. <laughs> a disaster this morning. You know, you t- you you find out how um, whether it's your phone or your laptop or whatever, those two main things, you find out how reliant you are when they don't work on them. I'm trying to think what I'm more reliant on, the laptop or the phone. It might be the laptop. When did you use your laptop last? Well, I was at the Raider game. So so Saturday, I guess. I don't think I used it. I was out yesterday. You forgot the password in 24 hours? Yeah. I mean, I've used <laughs> I've had the same password for whenever I got this machine like a year ago and I forgot it. I don't know what it was. I haven't slept since 2. So, what what? Yeah. It's one of those nights. Couldn't go to couldn't get to sleep. Don't know why. I have no idea. Been up since two. It's going to be a great morning. Were you awake at two, or were you out of bed at two? Oh no, no, awake. No, you were just in bed. bed, not sleeping. Yes, oh, tossing and turning. It's the worst. The worst. It's the worst. Should have just gotten up, done something productive, remembered your password. Well, I guess you couldn't. Have, I, you didn't know I, your password. I, I think that's what the, I'm going <laughs> to. I'm going to use that as a reason. It's going to be a wonderful morning. Haven't slept since two. Uh, yeah. The first bite. Did Jared Stidham's chance to be the Raiders' starting QB end on Saturday? Did he have a chance before then, after that first game? I made it a poll. <laughs> oh, there, okay, it's a poll on Twitter. Um, did he really, really have a chance after that first game, or did we always believe he's a free agent, although they like him somewhat. They drafted him in New England, and they traded for him, so there must be something they like about him. But... Did you really think he had a chance, or was it the, we're going to see what's out there, free agency, we've heard the names, the same names, Brady, Rodgers, Garoppolo, Jackson, whoever might be available, maybe draft someone. Like, what did you think the percentage was after that first game he was really going to get a shot at it? 2%? Yeah. So, but here's the key. I don't think the Raiders are getting Tom Brady, Aaron Rodgers, or Lamar Jackson. I don't think they're getting any three of those. And... Then your options become Jimmy Garoppolo, yeah. uh, draft somebody, <laughs> Baker Mayfield, right? Like, I mean, after, after if we're looking at the free agency class, after Garoppolo, what's going to be out there? There's not going to be anything that you can even convince yourself is better than Derek Carr. So in my mind, here, here's, the, here's the situation with Jarrett Stidham. You cannot have Jarrett Stidham be your quarterback and even pretend that you're going to compete with the Kansas City Chiefs in the AFC right. West. We we just saw 
what a Jarrett Sidham team looks like against the best team. Against the best team in the West. In, well, the best team maybe in the AFC. AFC. If you're having any plans of competing, Jarrett Sidham cannot be your quarterback. But if the Raiders actually look at this and say, this is going to take us more than one offseason to catch Kansas City, then I can understand why Sidham would be your starting quarterback next year. If you looked at it and said two, two things, if you were like, we are going to tank the hell out of this season. Yeah. Let Jared Sidham be your starting quarterback. Or even if you said, we're going to draft a quarterback and maybe it's, you know, Max Duggan in the third round or something like that. Or maybe it's Anthony Richardson later in the first round or something. You might say, all right, let's bring Stidham back. We'll probably let Stidham start. And then if Max Duggan develops into anything good, we'll we'll go to him at some point. But neither of those are situations where you are trying to be competitive in 2023 with the Kansas City Chiefs in the AFC West or even in the AFC. And so if your plan is to be competitive, there's no chance Jared Stidham can be your starting quarterback. But I could understand that if you decided to say, we're not particularly close to Kansas City. This is going to take us a lot longer than one offseason to do so. Yeah, and that messaging, by the way, has changed big time. And that's what happens when you're 6-11. and 11. <laughs> The messaging changes. Because the messaging last year when they got hired, and I'm talking about Ziggler and McDaniels, that was not the message. And the way they acted in the offseason, whether it was Chandler Jones, whether it was trading for Devontae Adams, that did not give the message that we're here to rebuild. But when it happened this year and goes 6-11, we saw what the defense did. The messaging has changed to we're doing the process and there's no timeline on the process. Like where did that, that's what, and it's true. That's what you say when you're 6-11, and 11, right? You know, you when you want to, you're buying yourself as much time as possible. If you're 11-6, and six, there'd be no process. You'd be in the playoffs. You'd be a high seed. It is incredible how much they've changed their public mindset about where they think this team is because they they thought they were competing with mm-hmm. the Kansas City Chiefs for the AFC West title. That's what they thought they did in the offseason. They thought they came in, hey, a 10-win team last year, went to the postseason. Look at that. We traded for Devontae Adams. We uh, signed Chandler Jones. We're going to be even better. We're going to be competing with Kansas City at the top of the division, and they're not even close. And now they have to save face and be like, whoa, that team's really good. We got a long way to go to get there. This we know gonna, who we're chasing. Yeah, we know who we're chasing. Yeah, you thought you caught them at the in the offseason. It is uh fun. Which so here's this question for you. They they go six and eleven after winning ten games last year, after expecting to be a com- competitor this year. Where do we think the most blame goes to for what happened this season with the Raiders? I think it goes mostly to Josh McDaniels, if you want to know the truth. And his staff. Um they weren't very good. I don't know if they uh, adjusted enough during the season. And also, I'll put some blame uh, on the front office for never really addressing the front, the offensive line. Uh, defensively, they were no good the entire year. Uh, so that has to fall on Ziggler as well. Who was the best free agent that they signed? Like, in all honesty, it might be somebody like Mac Hollins or Deron Harmon. Like those are probably the Ron Harmon. Those are probably the two best free agents that they signed. Like Chandler Jones was the big name free agent, not any good. Who was the best player that they drafted? Was it Dylan Parham? Well, he played a lot. Yeah, and he wasn't um, awful or anything like that. Dylan Parham was fine for on the Raiders' offensive line. Like you look through their draft and their free agency, and they they kind of missed on everything. 
right? Like the their wins are on the bottom end of the roster. Their wins are Matt Collins was uh, productive in like five games when everybody but Devontae Adams was hurt, right? Deron Harmon got to play because the secondary was so bad. Their wins are because they missed on the top end guys. And yes, they traded for Devontae Adams and Adams is still good. But for a team that finished with six wins for a team that's now looking around saying, oh, we're kind of far away from Kansas City. Trading your first and second round picks for a top end wide receiver is a horrible trade. That's a horrific trade because Devontae Adams didn't catch the Chiefs for you. You need young guys that are going to be productive on cheap contracts, and they didn't. They could have had two of those, but instead they traded him away for Devontae Adams. They missed on everything. Like, they didn't give Jacobs the fifth-year option. That's a mistake in hindsight because they're going to franchise tag him and pay him more money this offseason. The only good thing they did was put in the clause for Derek Carr's contract that lets him cut him at the end of the season. That's it. Like, the front office blew it completely blew it this offseason. So I think the front office deserves the most blame. And then the question is, how much is McDaniels involved in the front office? Probably quite a bit. And then on top of that, Josh McDaniels deserves the second most blame. Like those are the Dave Ziegler and Josh. This is all on them because they blew the offseason. And then how many games did they blow this season? Right, they set the record for most double-digit halftime leads to turn into five, losses. Six double-digit leads, five losses. Unbelievable that they could be that bad in games that they should have just closed One. out, and we're have we're teams in the playoffs or something like that. Absolutely, if they, if they win those games, if if they win in half the playoffs, of them, they're, they're probably not in the playoffs. But if they no, win half of them, they're they're in the playoffs yeah. for sure. So it's. McDaniels and Ziegler completely blew it. And the conversation that we've been having for like two months that I keep asking you and you keep giving me the same answer. And I cannot believe that McDaniels and Ziegler, there's no question they're back next year. I can't believe it. They, but they are. They took a 10 win team and made it worse. They, they, they completely ruined everything the Raiders did last year. And there's just no doubt about it. McDaniels and Ziegler are back next season. And I, I honestly can't believe that because they were awful this year. They're complete. Like if you sat down and did a performance evaluation and went through everything they did this year, did they do anything good? No. Clock not, management? Uh, no. Not, no. They kicked a field I, goal I, with like 13 seconds left and a half on second down once because they were yeah. afraid Carr would throw a pick. Like I, they didn't do it for a year. They didn't do anything good, and it's just no doubt about it. They're back next year, and to me, that's that's stunning in my mind that there would be no consideration for a change. Not that you want to be the Houston Texans, but the Houston Texans are out here like, you suck, we're hiring a new coach next year. The Texans are about to be on their fourth coach in four years because they realize when somebody sucks, get them out of here. The Raiders, meanwhile, are like, ah, we got rid of that Basaccia guy who was actually kind of good. Ah, oh, you guys blew it the entire year. Yeah, come on back next year. Everything will be fine. I, I'm stunned because I'm not stunned because I don't think Mark Davis would want to admit that. I'm Why not? not? I'm not because I just don't think. I just don't think he's he's going to. Well, obviously, we know he's not going to because they're coming back. But I just don't think after the Gruden situation and as many coaches as they had, he wants this to work. He believes it's going to work. And that's why he's bringing him back. That's, I'm not saying it's right. I'm just saying, I'm just telling you what I think. Well, because that 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 could be true. Because when you say he believes it wants to work, what on earth have you seen that would lead you to believe it's going to work? 
Like, what have McDaniels or Ziggler done that leads you to believe it's going to work? We've now seen McDaniels as a head coach two different stints. Neither time it worked. Neither Denver nor Vegas did it work very well. Ziggler, it's his first time as a GM, completely blew the offseason. They, they blew it. Like, there's nothing that either one of these guys have done when they're in charge that should lead anybody, especially Mark Davis, to believe it's going to work. Like, you, you're believing in something that doesn't exist. You're believing in, ah, well, they blew it last year, and Josh McDaniels blew it a decade ago in Denver. But then, don't worry, they'll figure it out. They'll get it together this offseason. I'm no, sure. I, I believe that's what he believes. And that's dumb. Like, that's a dumb thing to believe. You're just out here like, yeah, well, they'll figure it out based on what? There's nothing. There's nothing to point. Like, I would love to know what, if you ask Mark Davis, why do you think they'll turn it around? What his answer would be? Because I don't think he can give an answer to that that has any honesty behind it. The only answer you can give is Tom Brady won him a bunch of Super Bowls in New England. Like, that's it. That's the only thing you can possibly point to. I'm I'm stunned because that's 100% where the blame goes. Like, people want to yell at uh, the defense or the defensive coordinator or Derek Carr. And listen, none of those guys were good. None of those guys were like, oh, awesome season. Can't believe Derek Carr got screwed. Derek Carr wasn't any good this year. But none of those guys deserve the actual blame here. It's McDaniels and Ziggler. And I don't know what you look around and say, oh, yeah, this is definitely going to work next season because what's going to be different? What are they going to do? Trade their first and second round picks for another big player and not be the reason they catch Kansas City again? I don't know. It's just... Not a situation where there should be any belief at all. All right, coming up next, you can start believing in UNLV's NCAA tournament hope. Now we're ready to play as they figure out who's in and who's out for the Lobos. All right. Coming in the front court comes Jordan McCabe. McCabe gives the ball to Gilbert. Gilbert thinks about the handoff, instead drives, comes down the left side and got knocked down. And now they're just saying he fell down. But it's clear House just kind of threw him out of bounds. And there's no call there. Are you kidding me? He got pulled down. Well, it's, it goes as a turnover instead of House helping Keyshawn out of bounds. There. It's the Press Box with Graney and Bischoff on ESPN Las Vegas. Every Wednesday you can hear Kevin Kruger's Coaches Show on Raider Nation Radio 920. They are live at 5 p.m. from Bourbon Street Lounge inside the Orleans Hotel and Casino. And they're coming off. Biggest win of the season. They Huge beat New Mexico win. 84-77 on the road. Uh, that is a quad one win. As long as New Mexico doesn't uh, fall completely off the face of the earth, that should be a quad one win by the end of the season. Um, they Second half of that game, EJ Harkless offensively was incredible. He he had four points on one of four shooting at halftime. He scored 21 in the second half, seven of 11 from the field, got a bunch of free throws as well. Um, he did, by the way, have a rough final 30 seconds. He had a five second call for a turnover and then fouled a three point shooter, but they still held on to win the game. Meanwhile, UNLV's defense second half, the two best players for New Mexico are Jalen house and Jamal Mashburn. They had 11 points on four of 19 shooting combined. In that half, they as a team, New Mexico shot 34% in the second half, and they turned it over nine times alone in the second half. That was an incredible second half for UNLV, where they were able to come back and win that game. My question for you is, this team in the rest, rest of conference play, are they simply going to win games when EJ Harkless is efficient 
and lose games when EJ Harkless is inefficient? It depends on which half he depends on uh, being efficient. Right. If they because get first he, half EJ Harkless, they lose every game. If they get yes, second half, they win he, every they, game. They win every game. So is that all it, is I mean, that all it comes that down to? Be, that might be what it takes. Uh, he was, like you said, uh, he was terrific in the second half. But he's done this right all year. You just don't know when it's going to happen. He's yeah. kind of Mr. First half or second half. San Jose State game, yeah. which they still ended up losing. He and the rest of the team, right? It wasn't just him, but they were atrocious in the first half. And then... They were awesome for like 13, 15 minutes. He scored, what was it, 22 points and 13, 18 points in, in 13 minutes against San Jose State. And then they were just terrible to close that game. Like, he's done this before where he has... I think uh, he did it maybe against San Diego. Yeah, long stretches where he's just really good. Just starts making everything, but it rarely lasts an entire game. And... I think to me, the key for UNLV is obviously their defense has to be good. That was sort of a big question is during that when they lost three out of four, the defense had gone from being really good to just sort of above average. And they're not going to win much if their defense is just above average. But on the offensive end, they can have Harkless be bad for the whole game. But if you get 10 to 15 minutes of Harkless being really good, that's going to be close to enough for winning. They just need somebody else to have a decent offensive game. And Finally, Keyshawn Gilbert had. Yeah. Like Keyshawn he Gilbert. Was, he was better than he was the first two games of conference play. There's no question about that. So he ends up with 14 points, five assists, four steals, um, five of seven shooting. The most amazing part, though, he got benched 90 seconds into the game because he had two, twice in the first 90 seconds dribbling the ball up the floor, had his dribble stolen from him and led to fast breaks for, for New Mexico. Like that's unbelievably bad that Gilbert's just going to have the ball stolen from him before he gets across half court. And he got benched. And in all honesty, I saw that and I was like, my God, he might actually be broken. Like they might not actually get him back. Came back from that and was very good the rest of the game. And if they can get that Keyshawn Gilbert plus 10 to 15 minute stretches of EJ Harkless, that's how they win against the top half of the Mountain West this year. And I don't think that's unreasonable. I think that's something that this team can get, probably not every night, obviously, but can get 10 more times this year, and that might be enough to get them to an 11-win conference record, and that'll put them in the conversation for the NCAA tournament at the end of the year. Uh, yeah, I think um, they're 53 in net this morning. Uh, which is, you know, traveling up that traveling up those rankings. Top 60. Top 60 in net. Um, it's, there's five, I think there's four or five Mountain West teams in the top 50, top 53 of net. I think there's, uh, are they six though? Do they pass somebody? They might have passed somebody because okay. I know it goes San Diego State, Utah State, Boise, New Mexico, or New Mexico, Boise, and then, then and UNLV. Then, and then so there's oh, no, I'm sorry. There's six because Nevada's Arena. Arena's, Arena's okay. 4-0 oh in league. Yeah. Arena's 4-0 oh in league. How the hell are they doing that? I don't know. They haven't, they haven't played. Reno. They've probably They're played about as easy of a conference schedule as you can so far, but we'll see tomorrow night on Tuesday. They're at San Diego state. Yeah, so that's fun. But uh, for UNLV, here's, here's the key from that win over New Mexico. It is probably the second, maybe third best win you can get in mountain West play winning at San Diego state, winning at Utah state and winning at New Mexico. Those are the yes. three best available wins on the road in conference play. And they got one of them. And so that is end of the year. As long as New Mexico doesn't fall off the face of the earth, that's a quad one win. And that's going to be one of the best wins that any Mountain West team has, which 
it says a lot about the Mountain West in the non-conference, but it's going to be one of the best wins that any Mountain West team has, and it sets you up, like we said last week. So you beat New Mexico, you get that win, you're home against Boise State, and you're home, home against, against Colorado, Colorado State. State. If they can win those two, you're now 3-2 and two in conference play, and you've got another one of those massive games Going at Utah State. At Utah State. And so you'd be 3-2 and two in conference play, and you'd be looking at, if you can win at Utah State, you're now talking about having two significant wins for the NCAA tournament resume, two quad one wins for the NCAA tournament resume, and be 4-2 and two in the Mountain West. Mm-hmm. So if they can win the next two, they will be in a really, really uh, opportunistic spot. To go to Logan and try to win a game. Right. And that'll be a big game for their NCAA yeah, tournament hopes. huge. But getting the New Mexico one is... Uh, a phenomenal win for UNLV. Um, I will say this. I said it on Friday when I gave you my uh, throw the stats out, and I'm for some reason using the eye test as to why UNLV would beat New Mexico. I don't think that team's very good. New Mexico? I don't no. think they're very good. Like, they're they're they, a top half Mountain West team, but I don't think that's like a, oh, that's a five no, seed in the NCAA tournament. Good. And I think we started believing that when they went and lost at Fresno. Yeah. That was like, ooh, wait a second. How good are they really? Like they're they and I can't tell you I don't know their entire non conference schedule, but it wasn't. I mean, they beat St. Mary's good. on the road. Okay, they have probably the best win in non conference play in the Mountain West. Because by the way, St. Mary's is now ahead of Gonzaga in Ken Palm. <laughs> it's like the first time in like two decades or something like that that Gonzaga is not the number one WCC team in Ken in Palm. Ken Palm. Yeah, so they might have the best non conference win. And here's the thing: you start fourteen and zero. They're probably nil money. They're probably going to go to the NCAA tournament. New Mexico is, but I just don't. I just don't think they're very good. Like they just, and maybe I'm not giving UNLV enough credit, but House and Mashburn are just out of control all of the time. And I guess when they knock down shots, they're going to be impossible to beat. But I was not overly impressed with New Mexico. The thing I was most impressed with was. Morris Udeze, the center that they... The big. He, I mean, the big. Even, and even then, he wasn't unbelievably good, but he was solid. Like, I just don't think that team's that good. They're probably going to the NCAA tournament, and it's going to be a quad one win for UNLV. I'm just not convinced it's that good of a team they beat. Well, that, that doesn't hurt UNLV, though, if they're quad no, one. It doesn't really matter. As long as... Because the, New, New Mexico, the down part of the Mountain West, they're going to get enough wins. You yes. would think. Yes, they should. Um, so, yeah, that's that. I just don't think they're very good, but it's going to be, at the end of the day, a good win for UNLV. Because for, for that to not be a quad one win, New Mexico would have to fall to, like, 80 in net. Right. And I highly doubt they fall that far in net. That would be, like, finishing with six Mountain West wins or something at this point. So I'd be surprised if they were to fall that far in net. But it should be a quad one win at the end of the year, and it gives UNLV... And there's you know something there's on their resume. Three, they've already be, they've already uh, played San Diego State once, so they get them at Viejas, and then they get two Utah State games. Yeah. If they so can win at least if, three available, if they can win one of the Utah State or San Diego State road games, right? Then they're then they'll have two extremely good, good wins. wins at the end of the year. And if you can get Dayton to play any better, they're sixty four in net. Then right. there's a chance that could sneak up, but probably won't because it was at home. All right, coming up next. Miles Simmons joins the show. Fielded at the four by Hines. Coming straight up the middle to the 20. Cuts it back at the 25. He's got an alley down the right sideline to the 40. 50. Down to the 40. 35. 30. 
Takes it a yard deep in the end zone, gonna bring it out. Out to the 10, to the 15, up over the 20, 25, 30, gets away from the tackler, 35, 40, 45, 50, they're not gonna get him! He's going for another one! 102 yards! Naheem Hines sets Highmark ablaze with his second kick return touchdown of the game! We're back to the press box with Grady and Bischoff. Joining us now from Pro Football Talk is Miles Simmons. You can follow on Twitter at Miles A. Simmons. Um, Miles, the most important story of the day yesterday. Can you believe the Houston Texans blew the first overall pick in the fashion that they did? <laughs> yeah, that's why they said, thank you, Lovey Smith. Now get the hell out the door. He's <laughs> just ruined everything for us. Yeah. I mean, my gosh, who would have thought that? Uh, if you're the Texans ownership, like, is there anything you can do before that game or during that game to be like, hold on, calm down, guys. We don't actually want to win this one. They had fourth and 20. So no, <laughs> I mean, and Davis Mills was playing quarterback, but you know, we were playing Jeff Saturday's Colts. You know, you always got a chance. I saw both your. I saw your poster at the Bills game. Uh, can you still believe what happened in terms of how they responded there? No, I mean that was unbelievable. I just, well, I, I'll put it this way: from the standpoint of you know when you get the opening kickoff, as we were just listening to on that rejoin right there. I mean that's something that's out of this world you know you the, the script writers knew what they were doing when they put that one together and then for Hines to get a second touchdown as he did I mean especially for it to come against the New England Patriots who historically under Bill Belichick have had outstanding special teams that was really really wild so I mean the Bills we know are one of those three kind of juggernauts in the AFC and it doesn't necessarily surprise me anytime they win but Given everything that happened over the last week with the Buffalo Bills, that was something. Uh, of those AFC juggernauts, which one do you think actually wins the AFC? <laughs> oh man, I you know it depends on the day. Today I'm going to say Cincinnati. Any, I don't have great conviction in that, even though I just said it. And this is not really a good radio <laughs> answer, but here's why: because I just I feel like they have the kind of attitude where they understand that even though these teams in Kansas City and Buffalo are really, really good, their attitude is they have to come play us. And in this particular postseason, it's going to end up that Cincinnati is going to have to go to Buffalo or go to Kansas City or perhaps both. But I just feel like even though you got Collins out at right tackle, Kappa is probably going to be out at right guard, and that's really significant when you lose your right side of your OL. Man, I just believe in Joe Burrow, and I believe in what they're putting out there, and I don't know. I just I, I think it's going to be Cincinnati. What was Brandon Staley doing yesterday? Oh, my God. <laughs> Trying to give the Chargers an excuse to fire him. I mean, I, and I, I'm serious when I say that. I mean, I'm joking, but I'm serious. Because, look, that was inexcusable. What happened there was inexcusable. I don't care if you know that there are only 48 players available 
If that's your plan, Brandon Staley, that's a bad plan. It's your job to figure out what players should be on the field. And frankly, if you know during the course of uh, 90 minutes before, right, when inactives are due, you are very well aware that Baltimore is playing Anthony Brown in a cast of, I don't know, whoever the hell is out there, right, against Cincinnati, essentially conceding that game. So you know that you are locked in to the number five seed. You play Justin Herbert for a couple series. Yeah, you get his blood flowing. You make sure he stays in the rhythm, whatever. Then you get him the hell out of there, and you play a running back, a fullback, and a tight end, or two tight ends, or whoever, and you don't play Mike Williams, Austin Eckler, uh, Keenan Allen, or Justin Herbert for the rest of the game. Why in the world was Keenan Allen catching a touchdown pass from Chase Daniel with six minutes left in the game? It's so irresponsible as a head coach, and it's really, really bad coaching. On the so we're gonna get the Jags and the Chargers. We're gonna get Trevor Lawrence and Justin Herbert. I'm curious from uh, like a narrative standpoint in the NFL, is what Joe Burrow did last season, and honestly what the Bengals did this season. Does that put more pressure on Herbert and Lawrence to kind of hey one of you needs to do the same thing? Like you're gonna need to go on a deep run like Joe Burrow has. It's an interesting question. I I think that Joe Burrow has vaunted Cincinnati into relevance, right? And we are starting to see some of that from Trevor Lawrence. We've not seen it from Justin Herbert and the Chargers. I mean, people you know, love to watch Justin Herbert, and there obviously was the sort of narrative of, oh, he's a social media quarterback. But it's because people who follow the NFL, who cover the NFL, understand that he's hyper-talented. And you know, when you see some of the things that the Chargers have done over the course of the season, you might think, well, is that coaching staff holding him back a little bit? Perhaps. Yeah, that's kind of my opinion on it. So I think that from a narrative standpoint, the Jaguars have a better chance of kind of getting people to believe in them as a team and a franchise more than the Chargers do, if that makes sense. Uh, Jump over to the other uh, uh, conference. Uh, Eagles, 49ers, who do you think? 49ers right now, I mean, the Eagles are a great team. They needed this buy probably more than anybody else in that conference, and they were good to get it. Um, I mean, you know, Brent Fizz talk about, oh, everybody's doing this, everybody's doing that. Well, the Giants knew that they were locked into the sixth seed, and granted, they knew it longer than um, the Chargers did, but they came out and they decided they were going to rest their guys, and I totally believe in that. So I'm just, you know, looking at, the Eagles, and they did just enough to win, that's fine. You were in Week 18. You knew that your quarterback wasn't at 100%. So now you get the week off, and you're able to do it. But And the, the way the 49ers are playing and what Brock Purdy is doing as a you know, seventh-round rookie, literally the last pick in the draft, it's pretty unprecedented. And I still feel like if everything works out and the 49ers are as healthy as they can be, I, I don't know who's going to be able to beat them. Miles Simmons with us from Pro Football Talk. So we get Cowboys and Buccaneers, and I don't know who's better between those two because the good Cowboys were probably better than the Buccaneers, but are we going to get bad Cowboys in the playoffs? You know, it's funny. Like a month ago, I would have thought, well, the Bucks don't even belong anywhere near the postseason, and Dallas is going to go in to Tampa despite what happened in week one in Dallas, and they're going to roll these Buccaneers. But now I don't feel that way at all. In fact, I, I kind of feel like this is a bad matchup for Dallas. They're limping into the postseason. Dak Prescott does not look very good. He's been wildly inconsistent this year. And you think about it, he 
was tied for the league lead in interceptions, and he missed a substantial portion of the season. He's been throwing picks at a very high rate. And, again, not all interceptions are quarterback's fault. But, you know, when you're putting the ball in harm's way, you're putting the ball in harm's way. So this is an interesting matchup. ABC, a huge winner on this one, getting that wild card game um, for Monday Night Football. But, yeah, I, I don't know that Dallas is going to be able to go in there and play at a level that's going to beat Tom Brady with the way that the Bucks looked in the last couple of weeks. I have to ask you, Tom Brady, Aaron Rodgers, Jimmy Garoppolo, who's the Raiders quarterback next year? Oh, Tom Brady. Come on. Ah, or Mac Jones. Go. Mac Jones? Oh, my God. We haven't even <laughs> talked about Mac Jones yet. Yeah, well, Bill Belichick said he's capable of being a quarterback in this league this morning, but he didn't necessarily say he's our quarterback. So, you know, I mean, we saw uh, Josh McDaniels going up to Mac Jones at the end of that game, and I jokingly put it on Twitter. It's like, hey, man, just wait a couple months. I'm coming to get you. Who knows? Oh, boy. Oh, man. The Raiders going from Derek Carr to Mac Jones. That's not going to be fun. Who? All right. Oh, man. Okay. Here's a, here's a question for you. Um, the, the Miami Dolphins, do they score in the playoffs against the Bills? Yeah, they can kick a field goal. <laughs> <laughs> just one that's I mean, all they're look, getting this is, the, the problem is if it's teddy bridgewater or skylar thompson they got no shot they just have no shot and they shouldn't play to a tongue probably based on everything that we know about what tongue has gone through over the course of this season this is a nice story that the miami dolphins made it to the postseason in their first year under head coach mike mcdaniel but they've got a lot to figure out at quarterback He's Miles Simmons from Pro Football Talk. Again, follow him on Twitter at Miles A. Simmons. Miles, as always, we appreciate Thanks, it. Thanks, Miles. All right, take care, guys. See you. Oh, my God. I'm going to have to do a whole rundown tomorrow on Mac Jones. Throw Zach Wilson in there. Oh, boy. No, no. It's Mac Jones because he's from the Patriots. That's the only reason. That is, that is fair. Oh, that's, so throw Jacoby Brissett in there. That's, yes, that's the only reason. If, if Bill, I actually would like to watch Joby, Jacoby Brissett. If Bill Belichick finds a way to discard Mac Jones onto Josh McDaniels, you have to fire Josh McDaniels on the spot. <laughs> because he's a double agent. You keep at pushing that for this. You keep pushing for this. No, he's right. He's 100% right because at that point, all he is is we are a, the, the Raiders are a like, okay, I don't want this contract for a fullback. Uh, Raiders, take it. Like, they literally are just a dumping ground for Back bad. Back to Patriots West. <laughs> yeah. If Mac Jones no, if Mac Jones is the quarterback next year, you got to fire the whole, the whole front office, the whole coaching staff. Just, no, we can't do that. That's not allowed. We're not doing that anymore. That's not how this works. All right. Somehow they'll trade the first, their first round pick for Yes, him. they will. They probably <laughs> will. Coming up next, we'll jump into some college football. It's TCU and Georgia play for the national title tonight. Wake up. Just looking, throwing to the end zone, caught and converted. Jordan Akins comes up big again, wide open as the Texans grab a one-point lead with 50 seconds to go, 32-31. Live from the Finley Toyota ESPN Las Vegas studios, this is the Press Box with Graney and Bischoff. You can hear the national championship game right here on ESPN Las Vegas. Also... Willie will be out at Twin Peaks on Eastern uh, for the national championship game. So head out to Twin Peaks and watch TCU in Georgia with Willie and ESPN Las Vegas. And you can listen to it right here um, if you need to. So Georgia TCU national championship game tonight. 
Does TCU have any chance? Are we talking tomorrow about a blowout of like 21 points? Or Gosh, do we actually get not. some drama in the fourth quarter? I think there's a chance for some drama. I think for the entire year, everyone's been doubting TCU. And every time that people doubt them, they come through. They lost one game to Kansas State. Uh, I just, maybe it's just that I want it to be a good game. And I want it so bad to be a good game that I'm overlooking how good George is. And that uh, it won't be because we got two really good games in the semis. And we, I don't when's the last time at all if we ever got three good games in, in this whole never, game. never, never. never. <laughs> I mean, we barely never, get one half yeah, the time, exactly. <laughs> I so, won't mention the team. So, yeah, I'll, I mean, I'll, I'll try to give you three reasons. Um, and I don't even know if I've convinced myself that, that <laughs> TCU will be close. Um, first off, Georgia does have some injuries, they lost two of their better players, Nolan Smith, who's a really good pass rusher, and Dan Jackson in the secondary. They lost those two guys um, a couple weeks ago, probably more than a month ago now at this point. So their defense has lost two important players, and their defense hasn't been quite as good recently as it was early in the year. They also have some guys that are questionable coming into this game, um, a couple offensive players, and then another linebacker. So Georgia has a more significant injury issue than TCU. Also, in the last two games... LSU and Ohio State have combined to pass for 850 yards with seven passing touchdowns against the Georgia defense. Now, C.J. Stroud is really good. C.J. Stroud's going to be a top five pick or whatever it is in the NFL draft. We could reasonably say there's no there's no way Max Duggan does what C.J. Stroud does, but LSU also had a lot of success throwing against Georgia in the SEC title game and Max Duggan can replicate or should be able to replicate what LSU's passing game. And then this is the interesting one to me. TCU's defense against Michigan. They got torched by JJ McCarthy. He threw for 343 passing yards, which was a season high. JJ McCarthy is not a great passing quarterback. If you remember, he was in the quarterback battle at the start of the year where Jim Harbaugh was like, well, we're going to start they one kept, guy in game kept, one and another guy in game yeah, two. They kept uh, changing quarterbacks right. week to week. J.J. McCarthy is is fine, but he's by no means a great quarterback. He still torched TCU's defense. However, TCU's defense created big plays. They had two interceptions that they returned for touchdowns. They also forced a fumble against J.J. McCarthy and had three sacks. That's I, one of the reasons I'm not thinking it's a close game because they're not getting two pick sixes. You again. don't think so? Two pick sixes, no. Well, can they get can <laughs> they get can they get no. two turnovers? Doesn't have to be. They don't have to return to, uh, to the end zone. But if you can get a turnover, then your offense scores. You're good to go. Yeah. Like that's the interesting part to me is TCU. Very, very, very unlikely that TCU wins some low scoring defensive battle. They're gonna give up points and yards to Georgia. But can they make two or three big plays? Can they have the two interceptions or the strip sack? to recover a fumble. Can they make two or three just massive plays like they did against Michigan that sort of gives them the edge, gives them a, a slight, you know, hey, that you stole seven points know. from Georgia and maybe you can go score. Stetson Bennett's like 35. He's too experienced for this. <laughs> I don't think he's going to allow this to happen. He's got the Martov going on. Yes. He's getting too old for this. Exactly. <laughs> That's the part I'm curious to see because if you're TCU and you're going to win, you're not doing it 17 to 13. You're probably doing it 41 to 35. So it's okay if you give up points as long as you're able 
to create some big plays defensively. And that's what we'll be curious to see. The, um, the stat that I love is called Havoc Rate. Bill Connolly mm. of ESPN, I think he's the one that came up with it. He was tweeting it out during the Michigan TCU game. And Havoc Rate is just simply anytime a defense makes a uh, basically a play that goes in the box score that's not just a tackle. So sack, tackle for loss, pass breakup, interception, force fumble, those types of things. And against Michigan, their Havoc Rate was like over 20%. So one in five Michigan snaps, TCU was making a good defensive play. That's huge. And if they can get it at 15% against Georgia, maybe they've got a chance to do so. And they've been good at it all year. This isn't like, oh, they just did it against Michigan, but they did it against Michigan too, which was not supposed to happen. So I don't know if I've even convinced myself, but those are my three, three talking points as to maybe how TCU can win the game or at least give us drama. In the fourth yeah. quarter, we did picks in the paper this morning, and I picked Georgia. I think thirty-eight twenty-eight. And uh, comment was, you know, Kirby Smart's going to win and say they didn't play well. They've got to get ready for spring practice. <laughs> Remember from last week, one of the great semifinals games ever. Well, we're not that good. It's like, okay, calm down, Saban. Uh, I want to talk about how the Bulldog can't so come real. Quick. This is this actually is, the important story yes. here. So, Uga, Georgia's live Bulldog mascot, is not going to be at the national title game tonight. Because the game is in California and the owners of Uga did not want to fly him across the country. He is a nine-year-old bulldog. Ooh, yeah. I don't think bulldogs are even supposed to fly to begin with. Um, so yeah, nine-year-old bulldog, they said it is not good for his health to put him on a plane to fly across the country. I think like existing isn't really good for bulldogs. No, health. they should not exist the way they exist. <laughs> no. Um we have bred them into some really bad situations. I've I've got uh, I've got a complaint though for the family because by the way, quickly the setup for live bulldog mascots or at least the one at Georgia. I think they're like this everywhere. A family owns the bulldogs, the bulldogs. and they breed them so they have the next Uga. The, the the dog is not owned by the university. There's a family that owns them, and then I don't know how the deal works, but they have a deal with the family. That, Where the hey, dog is at games. Right. You're in charge of, this is Ugga. He does appearances and all that. Get in the damn car and drive across the country. You've got a whole week. What were they doing? I agree. <laughs> Don't put the dog on a plane and fly him. You can drive that put dog him in across his car the country. Seat? He's got, there was a whole story two years ago, three years ago, about how great the car they have for this dog is. They, it has its own temperature control in the back. Of the car they tra- get in the car and drive the damn dog to California. <laughs> Are you kidding me? This is your one job as a family is to be in charge of Ugga? Do you guys have car seats for your dogs? No, but we've looked into possibly getting one. Yeah, we have a car seat for Rory. We put him in his car seat. My dog's a 140-pound Weimaraner. <laughs> your dog doesn't go in the car. Your dog is the car. <laughs> My dog has its own, has the back seat. <laughs> I don't understand how this dog is not in a car on the way to South Carolina or uh, Southern California right down now. Down to SoFi. What's happening here? What are you doing? I can't believe that. I'm I'm stunned that a family that's oh yeah we got and if you're Georgia, why the hell are you not making this family drive across the country? Uh, you'll pay well, depending for Depending on your depending on your agreement with it. Yeah, well, what are we family? doing here? Put it on the Amtrak. It's Uga. It's the national championship. I know they think this... they're good and they're going to go all the time, but you don't. The uh, caretaker, the mascot, will be watching from home. They'll be asleep. <laughs> he was asleep on the sideline of the semis, but get him there. 
<laughs> Let's go, Jordan. It's an unbelievable story.